Hey y'all, I'm Melanie. And I'm Jason. And you're listening to the Old North State Podcast. We're bringing you on a deep dive into all things North Carolina. Hello. Hello. Good uh good evening. Good evening, even if it's 4:30. It's yeah. probably dark. It's big sad season. <laughs> big sad. So, to everyone suffering from seasonal depression, hang you're in there. You're not alone. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're not alone. Hang in there. It's, this too shall pass. <laughs> That's true. Brighter days are ahead. Yes. Welcome to the Old North State podcast. You already heard our intro. Yeah, welcome. Today we're talking about something really cool. Yeah. Before we get there, um, what's our fun fact for the day? Our fun fact is, um, did you know that the state dog of North Carolina is the plot hound? Not until we Googled it five minutes ago. That's true. Looking at pictures of these good boys and girls right now. Look at these good dogs. Yeah. If you haven't, if you need some serotonin, Google Plot Hound, and you'll see uh, the North Carolina State Dog. Yes, the Plot Hound is the only officially recognized breed of dog developed in North Carolina, and it was officially adopted as the state dog on August twelfth, nineteen eighty nine. Big day, big day, big day. Um. I'm trying to think. I don't think we have any housekeeping. We've done all of our events. That's true. Uh, the Drop Dead 5K went very well. Yes. Sold out over 300 runners. They raised over $10,000 that go towards restoration of uh, Elmwood Cemetery in Charlotte. If you went to the race and picked up your um, race packet slash bib the morning of, we gave it to you. It was us. We were the only ones giving out packets. You're welcome. There's no one else that could have given it to you. I guess unless you had your friends or something. That's true. Um, I had a lot of fun. It was so cold. Despite the <laughs> fact that I did not warm up until about 5 o'clock on Saturday afternoon. I felt that way too. That lady gave us hand warmers and like I was holding on to mine until the end of my three-hour nap that day. Yeah. Um, and I was still cold. I uh, put mine... Down my pants at one point. Yeah. Because okay. I have a problem that my butt gets really cold sometimes. So <laughs> that's where I put mine. Um, I had my robe on. I had on a long sleeve shirt, pants, thick socks, and a heating pad and a blanket. And I was still cold. Were you dead cold? I was absolutely dead cold. Mm, how do you think they felt? Touche. Did you ever think about, like, you know, if they... <laughs> There is some, obviously there's not, but if there is some type of consciousness for the people that were buried there, like, oh my God, just like rumbling around, be like, what's going on up there? You know, <laughs> just like a stampede. <laughs> anyway, Probably. so thanks to all that came out to the Drop Dead 5K. We hope to see you next year. I might walk it next year. I'm you know, You'll never catch me running, but I might walk it. Yeah. The, just the, to say that I did a 5K. The fastest runner was like less than 16 minutes. Yeah, he did. Well, he it was like fourteen something. I mean, he sprinted out of there, so yeah. that didn't surprise me. And he sprinted right back in. <laughs> he he did. was just, um, and then not that the longest matters, but uh, we were all done within like an hour. 
So mm-hmm. great race, beautiful. Then we had a tour afterwards with yeah. our buddy Lynn. Learned that. Learned a lot. Yeah, learned a lot. Uh, we also there was also a lady in the group that was teaching us about trees. Yeah, she's an arborist. Mm-hmm. She's an arborist for the either the city or the county. And I learned about um, sassafras leaves. Yes. If you bite, if you like rip a leaf off a tree and you bite the end of it, it's a little spicy. Um, one, why is it spicy? <laughs> um, one last thing I want to say. I just, one of the volunteers was the guy who like works at Elmwood Cemetery. So naturally I asked, what's the spookiest thing you've seen? And he said, no one warned him how frequently he was going to have to <laughs> clean up chicken remains from people who sacrifice chickens and leave them on um, headstones. Just like cutting them up, using their blood, doing all this stuff. And he says it happens like frequently. I saw a ghost too. Um, you saw a ghost. I did. I, I saw a ghost. We were setting up. There was only, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight of us we were all standing in one spot and i saw out of the corner of my eye like somebody walk in between two trees we're gonna have to um look into that yeah i mean i and you you saw me i walked over there and there's nobody over there yeah because i was um, like because it, it 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 spooked me <laughs> good that's like the ideal experience yeah so uh Guess we'll just have to go back yeah Although it says off limits after dark, which is now 2 p.m. So. That's true. <laughs> okay. What are we talking about today? Um, so, continuing on with Native American Heritage Month. Yes, um, it is November. If you have ever heard about code talkers in World War II, I guarantee you it has been in the context of the Navajo. And, um... Um, this isn't really a fun fact, but it's the, uh, Navajo code talker kind of, uh, memorial display thing that they've got. Like a museum? No, it's, it's not a museum. It's, it's literally like a wall in a Burger King in Arizona. Gotcha. Memorial? That's, yeah, it's like the memorial display case thing. It it wasn't really a memorial because it was built when they were, like, a lot of them were still alive. Okay. What is it called? Oh, my God. Yeah. Anyway. I'm trying. But not a lot of people know that the Cherokee had their own code talkers in World War One. So we're going to be talking about that today. Cool. So the Cherokee are a Native American tribal group who have occupied parts of the Southeast for centuries. There are three federally recognized groups of Cherokee, the Eastern Band of Cherokee right here in North Carolina, the Cherokee Nation in Oklahoma, and the United Kitoa Band of Cherokee in Oklahoma. When the Indian Removal Act was signed into law in May of 1830, over 15,000 Cherokee were forcibly moved west from North Carolina, South Carolina, Tennessee, and Georgia. Only about 800 who lived along the Okanalufti River were not subject to the Trail of Tears, either by hiding from and resisting federal troops or by giving up their Cherokee citizenship. The current Eastern Band of Cherokee members are primarily made up of descendants of those who remained. The Cherokee speak a Southern Iroquoian language 
that is written in syllabary. Syllabary. Yeah, you're on your own. Syllabary. It's like syllables, but A-R-Y at the end. And that was invented in the 1810s. So, leading up to World War I, the likelihood of Native American soldiers spending time in an American Indian boarding school was very high. These schools forced the removal of any ounce of indigenous culture from children, like cutting their hair, making them wear uniforms, replacing their names with more English names, and forbidding them to speak their own language. And by 1918, World War I was well underway, and the Germans were working their way through France after Operation Michael. On August 8, 1918, more than 10 Allied divisions began an attack on the Germans with more than 500 tanks. With the element of surprise, the British 4th Army was able to break through German lines, eventually creating a 15-mile gap south of the River Somme. This was known as the Battle of Amiens Amiens, and was the start of the Allies' 100 days offensive. By August 10th, the Germans started pulling out of the salient they established during Operation Michael and back towards the Hindenburg Line. And a salient, I learned, is basically just like a little bulge, like a little pocket of like, so say you've got like the offensive line and they're going all the way up to the Hindenburg line and the Germans would have like a little pocket that kind of bulged into the Allies' territory. And that's what a salient is. Thank you for those uh, hands gestures because I know they were exclusively for me. You're welcome. I do that for you. The Hindenburg line was the German defensive line built out of concrete steel and barbed wire during the winter of 1916 and 1917 all across the Western Front, and it ran from Arras, Arras in France, to La Faux in Eastern France. Do you know what I'm now um, remembering? In Wonder Woman, when she had her gang of misfit allies Mm. that uh, helped her on her quest to get rid of the god of war, as you do. Um, as she does. Mm-hmm. She had a code talker on her, um, in her group. Did she really? Yeah. I'm going to go, we're going to have to watch that again. You're not going to have to twist my arm. <laughs> Let's watch it when we're done. Um, so by September, this is still 1918, the 105th Regiment discovered that their coded messages sent in English were being intercepted by Germans who would then take immediate counteractions almost simultaneously as the messages were being sent. It got to the point where one of the colonels was talking on the phone and said you could tell the Germans were listening because they kept adjusting their artillery fire based on where he was reporting the shells were hitting. Which, honestly, that's terrifying. But, what were you going to say? Nothing. Oh. So, the Germans... Uh, had been able to intercept and break every code the Americans used, which resulted in the deaths of many troops because they had soldiers who could speak and translate the majority of languages. Other means of sending messages, like sending runners, color-coded rockets, or even carrier pigeons, were either too slow or unreliable, and the likelihood of sending a runner um, and that person being captured was about one in four. 
between 12,000 and 17,000 Native Americans were enlisted in the United States military to serve in World War I and actually had the lowest casualty rate of any group in service. And we just watched a YouTube video and learned that Native Americans currently have the most, uh, the highest enlistment rate of any um, racial group. Yes. Ethnic group is what she said. Yep. Which I find very fascinating. Um, attached to British troops were the 119th and 120th U.S. Infantry Regiments in the 30th Infantry Division that contained a number of Cherokee from western North Carolina. First Lieutenant John W. Stanley, who had 15 years of experience as a telegraph operator, came up with an idea in late September to counteract the German interception by using Cherokee soldiers to relay messages between regiments. He and other signal officers guessed that Germans would not be able to understand the Cherokee language. Lieutenant Stanley later wrote, <laughs> excuse me, sorry, I burped a little bit. He said, <laughs> he said, and I quote, I pointed out to the division signal officer that the old 1st NC regiment was split up at Camp Severe, South Carolina in 1917 and its personnel assigned to the 119th and 120th Infantry regiments contained quite a number of Cherokee Indians, which were now somewhere in the division, and that, in my opinion, if a number of the, the most intelligent of them were placed at each telephone and that they transmit all messages in their native tongue, I felt sure that even a battalion commander could use them in transmitting commands in perfect safety. End quote. The matter was taken up with the division commander, and by the next day, every command post from the brigade forward had a telephone with a Cherokee speaker beside it. In October, an officer in the 142nd Regiment had a similar idea after hearing two Choctaw soldiers conversing in their native language. This led to an experiment where uh, the Choctaw soldiers were asked to communicate with other Choctaw at company headquarters in their language. This test was a success, and the Choctaw Telephone Squad was born. Two officers were selected to supervise a communication system that was staffed by around 18 Choctaw soldiers. They transmitted messages in their native language, relying, relaying troop movements and their own tactical plans. The Choctaw played a huge role in an attack on the heavily fortified German position in Forest Fern, and within 72 hours, the Allies were there in the area in full force. A captured German soldier later said that they couldn't make heads or tails of the Choctaw speakers, and it sounded like they were speaking underwater. The enemy was never able to break Native American codes, and the soldiers became known as code talkers. The Great War finally ended on November 11, 1918. And thank goodness it was the, the war to end all wars. And Absolutely. we haven't had a war since. Thank yeah. God. No deaths. No deaths since November 11th, 1918. Mm -hmm. Hey, that's tomorrow. Oh, my God. I mean, uh, yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Happy Veterans Day, everybody. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, so the Cherokee Code Talkers were the first known use of the Native Americans and the American military to transmit messages under fire. While we were there... Or, while we know there were several eastern bands of Cherokee that served in the 30th Division in France, we do not know any names of the individuals who served as co-talkers in World War One. 
We know a few of the um, Cherokee Nation um, co-talkers. One of their names was George Adair. And then there's an Osage co-talker that they know who they are. And God, there's one more. I don't remember um, where they were from. But there are like a few that they know who they are. But we do not know who any of the Eastern Band of Cherokee soldiers were. Hmm. Because co-talking was such a success, the military developed a specific policy to train and recruit Native Americans to become co-talkers. The Army was the first to begin recruiting, followed by the Marines and the Navy. By 1942, the first class of 29 Navajo co-talkers completed its training. The Navajo were the most notable co-talkers in World War II, having over 400 by the war's end, and developed a complex code of over 700 terms used in the Pacific Theater. These soldiers had to develop and memorize a unique military code using mostly their unwritten language and would be placed in guarded rooms until their tasks were completed. There were two types of Native American code talking. Type 1 involved the use of Native language with additional specifically coded vocabulary, which the Choctaw created toward the end of World War I. Because they lacked the words for modern-day military words, they would use their own words, like they would use turtle for tanks, big gun for artillery, little gun shoot fast for machine gun. That's my personal favorite. Right. Stone for grenade, scalps for casualties, and we just learned a few more. It was like um, bad air. Bad air for gas. There was another one that they used. It, it was arrows for um, ammo. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I just really like Little Gun Shoot Fast. Little Gun Do Shoot Fast. That um, was just my favorite. And then the Type 2 uh, only used the everyday vernacular of Native American language. But since the language was, was wholly unknown to Germans and others, it worked effectively. Meaning they didn't really have to disguise anything because no one knew what they were talking about to begin with. Yeah, and in the one of the videos, so sometimes we like to watch YouTube videos. Um, it's called research. It is called research. <laughs> and we watched one before this, and it was a Navajo code talker, and he said that they, um, when he was stationed in Iwo Jima, that they, they like, transmitted a message, and it only took 20 seconds, but if it had been done in English, it would have taken 30 minutes. Yeah. So Which this is crazy. was like absolutely um, efficiency at its finest. There you go. And they also basically said like Iwo Jima would not have happened had it not been for the code talkers. And I absolutely believe it. That, that's yeah, that's what it sounds like to me. I mean, mm-hmm. not to uh, dismiss the efforts of everyone else, well, yeah. but the critical, critical, critical role um, they played. Which leads us to the next point that we want to make, mm-hmm. um, the irony of being banned from using your native language at home while using it to fight on behalf of those who banned you was not lost on the code talkers. Many had been forced to attend the boarding schools. It was also not lost on these men that they served in the American military before they had citizenship or the right to vote. They didn't get it till 1924. Mm-hmm. So six years after the war... Six years after they had served, they still did not have American citizenship. And I'm sure they did not have a countdown or a guarantee that was going to happen. Yeah. They, they were did going not. through, you know, nearly 300 years at this point of being pushed out. Mm-hmm. 
Uh, for them, it wasn't necessarily about defending the United States, but more about defending their native and ancestral lands. Their cultural and linguistic resilience was a unique contri contribution to the war effort and undoubtedly saved countless lives. In World War II, individuals from 14 nations, included the Cher including the Cherokee, served as code talkers in the Pacific and in Europe. There is an estimated 40 Cherokee who served the United States in World War I and World War II, and the recognition has unfortunately been lost to time. In June 2002, Congress passed the Code Talkers Recognition Act to recognize the importance these troops had. These Code Talkers operated under heavy combat action and around the clock to provide information and keep their location a secret from the enemy. In 2013, the Congress honored Code Talkers in a Congressional Medal Ceremony in which the nation's highest civilian honor was awarded to 33 tri tribes. As of May 2021, in a blog from The Vantage Point, there are thought to be only four Code Talkers still alive. Very sad, but also pretty awesome. And the word that I was looking for earlier is display. There you go. <laughs> yep. It is a display exhibit. It is located in a Burger King in Cayenta, Arizona. Um, it's it's literally just a display inside of a Burger King. And so I personally think that they should get their own museum or something similar. Yeah, absolutely. Something that's not inside of a Burger King. Well, I mean... Depends on the Burger King. That's true. I'm just joking. Um, but this is not history that happened in North Carolina, but I think we've made it clear that um, North Carolina has a place in this story. Mm -hmm. <clears throat> there is a book called The First Code Talkers. Um, it is on my list of books to read after the 47 other books that I have to read. Yeah. So maybe we'll be able to update this since it was kind of short. <laughs> Always learning. Yeah. I, we're coming up on a year I know. of doing this. this what should we do? Episode like 44 or something. I think it's 42. 42. Um, take a vacation. That's what we should do. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, an entire year of doing this. Mm -hmm. And there's just so much more to talk about. Yeah. We got a whole bunch of stuff coming up. Hopefully some fun things for Christmas. And then next year, we'll have to... Next year will be a little bit differently structured, but that's it'll be okay. Y'all will like it. Y'all will love it. Absolutely. Cool. Well, um, that's. I know this was a short episode, but that's all we got for you today. <laughs> no fluff. Um, we just hit you with some cold, hard truth. Yes, and hopefully you learned something, and um, next time you talk about World War One, you can tell somebody, hey, did you know that the Cherokee were code talkers in World War One?" And they're going to say, I did not know that. Thank you so much for that fun fact. That's usually, that's actually how it goes for And us. then you're going to say, I learned it on the Old North State podcast, and they're going to be like, oh my God, I'll have to listen to it. And then it'll and then be it great. Happens. <laughs> um, I have one last thing to add. No. Cool connected um but a few weeks ago at our favorite bar bottle shop market mm -hmm. bart smart and eastway charlotte 
Um, we made a <laughs> bless you. Thank you. A notebook where people can write down their personal ghost stories, <laughs> and it's hanging out in Bart Smart, so anyone can add to it. Um, and someone wrote in it today. They took a video. They of did. It. Yeah, oh, they put it fun. On their story. So the first person to submit. That's not us. What's it say? Um, I don't know. We're gonna have to go. Okay. All right, Justin. We'll see you soon. All right. We know you're listening. Good night. <laughs> Actually, he might have fallen asleep by now. Yeah. <laughs> That's okay. He he said that we are his ASMR. Pretty much, and I said that was weird. <laughs> um, That's weird, especially because I have a weird laugh. I have a weird voice, so. That's okay. I like your but voice. But he seems to like it. Um, Justin, that is. And you, my wife, I guess. Um, I do like your voice. Thanks. <laughs> okay. All right, we're rambling. Yep. We'll see you next time yep. where we talk about something that has to do with North Carolina. Goodbye. Yes, um, and I hope everyone who served has a happy Veterans Day. Um, thank you so much for all of your service. Um, we appreciate it. Yeah, what she said. All right, bye. Good night. <laughs> Sources for today's episode can be found on our website at anchor.fm slash old north state pod. If you want to send us a topic suggestion, a funny story, or if you just want to say hi, you can email us at old north state pod at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram at old north state pod. Cheers, y'all.